Well, it's very good to be with you. Good to be with you in person in this room. Good to be with you if you're joining us online. Thank you so much for joining to worship Jesus tonight. He's so worthy of our praise. And um, here's the best news in the world. The fact that we've got a Savior who loves us, someone who's wise, someone who's compassionate, someone who doesn't change with seasons, someone who's always for us, someone who knows us better than we know ourselves and doesn't judge us or condemn us, but wants to rescue us. That's fantastic, isn't it? When you get to my age, your sense of humor is out of date and rather inappropriate. <laughs> and I like to write jokes in my church letter, and Tina vets them and says, no, you can't say that, David. So one joke I want to put in was, what do you call the woman who rides on your back? Michelle. Anyway, it's a bad joke, and it's no, never been in the letter, but I just thought I'd say it live. Anyway, um, <laughs> we've been doing a little series on power um, tonight. We've also been... On Tuesday evenings, we've done five sessions on, on called Empowered, and we're coming to land this coming Tuesday. You're welcome to come along, 8 o'clock. We're looking about the power of Jesus over the power of evil and deliverance and that kind of stuff, stuff which isn't always easy and straightforward to talk about um, in our culture today, but we're going to go there on Tuesday. If you want to come and join us, you're really, really welcome. It's great to hear some stories of God's power at work. In fact, I had a great time this morning. Just, I just prayed with somebody who'd broken their shoulder. Um, uh, and, um, but yeah, we prayed, and um, she was just able, after we prayed, straight away just to lift her arms up in the air where she couldn't do that before, and I thought, gosh, that's amazing, God, because that's absolutely nothing to do with me. Very often, I find that when God's at work in power, it's because somebody else's faith is really active, and it seems to me that there are a number of things that earth power and faith is very definitely one of them. We can explore in the scriptures. Perhaps you did that last week a bit, Claire, did you? Yeah. So, so faith earths the power of God. So we'll keep that in mind. But what I want to ask a question tonight is, is it possible to have spiritual power without spiritual holiness? What do you think? Yes, put your hand up if you think it is possible to. Put your hand up if you think it's not. And the rest of you are sat on the fence. So you're like... Lib Dems, go on. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to read about spiritual power from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he'd amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he, he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, 
They'd simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and praise the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, praise the Lord for me, so that nothing you've said may happen to me. You know, at the start of this series on power, we may have used this little phrase, power without love is dangerous. It's manipulative. Love without power is frustrated. Love follows, and so power should follow the way of love. That's the way it works. You love and you want to have power to bless the beloved. But power without holiness is, is dangerous. And, and yet it's also very real. Remember in the early days of this church, um, I was asked to, to meet up through an agency to counsel um, a Bristol Evening Post reporter who had been doing a series, um, had been doing an investigation on a, on a Bristol, uh, on someone who's a clairvoyant and they come to Bristol and they were kind of tracking down this kind of negative energy, and they kind of located um, um, something in a shop on Blackboard Hill that was the kind of, um, I don't know, it sold all kinds of, of kind of paraphernalia, and, and, um, and this kind of clairvoyance said, oh, this is the center where it is. And, and the reporter who was with her was just actually freaked out. He was just really disturbed by the whole experience. Something spiritually was affecting him. So he, he came to an agency for counseling, and they referred him to me, and we... We sat and talked, and you know he's quite a hard-bitten reporter, and he'd been been to Oxford University, and he was a kind of you know a thorough secularist really. But he told me that before he went to Oxford, um, he'd been taking part in a, in a Ouija board session with some friends, and something had happened, and a couple of them, actually, including him, had actually kind of passed out momentarily, and, and it had been really weird and freaky. It had left a kind of level of disturbance in him. Something powerful had happened to him then. And this connection with a spiritual power that was not a Christian spiritual power, but was definitely something that really freaked him out. And as we met together and talked and prayed, actually, he felt um, something leave him that had been like a something that had been disturbing his soul, his psyche, for some time. And he actually came to faith in Jesus, which was exciting. But um, um, it's just, honestly, power is out there. It's out there in the physical, material world. But it's out there in the spiritual world as well. And um, power needs protective insulation in order to be handled well, whatever it is. And in, in terms of the, the powers of this age, electrical power needs to be well insulated in order to handle it. It's great to have, but it's not safe, unregulated. And spiritual power is not safe, unregulated. Part of what we believe is we pursue Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We believe the supernatural world is real and powerful, but it's also a bit of a minefield. And if you don't follow the regulated pathways through that minefield, you could get unlucky, like this gentleman that I, I referred to, and encounter something that's not helpful, that's disturbing to you, not something that's good. 
And when Jesus spoke about the work of the Spirit, he said, um, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or asks for bread, will give him a, a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But you see, the difference between the Holy Spirit and snakes and scorpions is that in the Bible, snakes and scorpions are emblematic of unclean spiritual powers. Whereas the Holy Spirit is clean. And that's something you want to remember about the work of God. It's clean. The Bible talks about the powers of evil as unclean spirits. But the work of the Spirit is clean. But it's not safe if we're not clean, necessarily, you know? And um, there's a couple of verses which are quite striking. In Exodus 33, um, there's, it's, it's, there's a lot of power in the book of Exodus. If you want a, 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 a kind of a book of miracles, Exodus is up there, isn't it, with these extraordinary miracles. And yet there's a lot of danger as well. And um, a lot of judgment as well as a lot of miracles. And in fact, in Exodus 33, verse 3, God says to Moses, look, I better not go with you. You know, I'm going to lead you to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you because you're such a stiff-necked people, I might destroy you on the way. So what's, what God's kind of saying to Moses, it's not safe for me to be with you if you're going to behave the way that you do because my power, which is clean, there's a reaction against stuff that's not clean. There's a reaction when you start worshipping idols and golden calves and stuff like that. You know, it's not safe for you to have me and to have all this other stuff. So you get to choose. And it's interesting as well, in, um, in Acts chapter 5, uh, there's a real quirky little story. It's kind of Ananias and Sapphira. And, you know, they're just regular guys, it seems to me. They're just kind of, they do this thing where they kind of make a pact. That we're going to pretend to give more to the church than we, um, you know, you went to the card machine. You, anyway, they, they, they pretended they were going to give more than they actually were going to do. And uh, Peter said to Ananias, Ananias. How has Satan so filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? And then that drops down dead. Now, that's a, that's a quirky story, isn't it? We don't have lots of those stories in church today. But there's a sense in which, there was a sense in the early church, there's a lot of power around here. And there's also quite a lot of awe because we feel that power isn't quite safe. And if you're a C.S. Lewis reader and the Narnia fan. You'll remember that quote from Narnia where they're asking about um, Aslan the lion. Is he safe? Safe? He's not safe, but he is good. And uh, actually, that's the nature of God. Not safe, actually, but good. So um, I hope that makes you feel more relaxed. Um, <laughs> but I think that Power is insulated by holiness. And what does holiness mean? Well, first, the first and primary meaning of holiness means to be set apart for exclusive exclusivity. So holy matrimony means two people set apart exclusively for one another. If, if you are holy, and, and the WH holy, holy devoted... <laughs> It's, it's, it's very similar in its rootedness. If, if something's holy, it's for a specific purpose. And for the people of Israel, their understanding of holiness was based initially around their separation. You know, it, Jewish people wear different clothes. Jewish people eat different food. It's because they're separate from the other nations. They're distinctive. 
And the worship of God was about things that are distinctive about the worship of God. But as their understanding as a nation grew about what holiness means, they came to realize that holiness was not just about being distinct, but it was also about moral purity. You can be distinct without moral purity. Some of the Jewish law is about being distinct, but not about being moral. You know, for the Jews, the fact that you could, you're not allowed to wear mixed clothing or eat certain forms of meat isn't because it's morally wrong, but it, because it affects your distinctiveness. But there are other things that God was showing the people of Israel that says, actually, these things are not just about being distinct. They're about morality. They're about a purity. And they're about a kind of goodness and essence that resonates with the Father of lights in whom there's no darkness at all. And so, you know, um, a religious artifact like, you know, a censer, for instance, or a, 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 a bowl for offering sacrifice is holy because it's devoted for spiritual service. It is not intrinsically like that. It's just made of raw material. But you, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who wants to serve God, you're called to be more than just a religious artifact in your holiness. You're called to reflect the very nature of God, who is undivided, in whom there is no darkness at all. And so what it means for us to be holy means to be set apart for God. And in that set-apartness, to be living a life that reflects something of the moral purity of our Father in heaven. And that's a challenge for us because we're a bit broken and mixed, aren't we? So I just want to pack a little bit about what holiness looks like and how we can get a hold of holiness in our lifetime. So here's a few things that holiness means. I think holiness means not worshipping other things because we're set apart for God. And um, probably... Worship, it's not, you know, that was a challenge all the way through the Bible. What are you worshipping? What are you giving yourself to? And for most of us, we're not in a situation where the things that we worship are, are kind of ascribed to divinity. It's not like kind of you've got a temptation. If you leave tonight, are you going to keep worshipping Jesus or are you going to worship Baal? You're probably not going to get that temptation. But you may well feel that I'm really going to be kind of like giving myself over to something which... Um, has my loyalty beyond which it should have. And that could be anything. It could be your career. It could be a relationship. It could be um, anything that kind of aggrandizes you and, and, and stuff. But we, we kind of know what it is. And, and we're learning, I think, not to worship stuff other than God. And that's a, a process where God sometimes just shows that actually that's got too high a priority for you. It may be something that's actually intrinsically good, but it's not what it is, but where it resides in your heart. And so we're often taking down our idols and dethroning the gods that want to have their place in our life. And that's part of our Christian discipleship. It's actually learning to, you know, when we, when we first become Christian, we say, Jesus is Lord, I'm going to say that. But then we work out what that actually means in practice. We think, oh, there's a process here of dethronement. It's a bit like, you know, when the Israelites came to the promised land. It's God's land he's giving to us, but there's a process of getting rid of the other stuff that's in the land if it's really going to become the promised land, really going to become kingdom. But I guess one, one way in which holiness uh, works is means not being led by our appetites. Now, uh, you know, I, I think if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, two brothers, there's one who is a man of appetite, and there's another who's a 
someone who kind of values his kind of, the, the sort of spiritual inheritance that he's going to get from his dad. Now, actually, that's Esau and Jacob. I, I think Jacob's a bit sneaky. I don't like him as much as I like Esau. I like Esau. He's out there with his bow and arrow hunting, you know, proper bloke. Very hairy, not like Matt. <laughs> it's probably that famous quote from the book of Exodus. Esau was a hairy man, but Jacob was a smooth man. And Matt, Matt Dobson is a smooth man. <laughs> um, but Jacob was a man of appetite. And so he was willing to surrender other things. He was, he was not someone who's into delayed gratification. The food's in front of it. I want it now. Forget about the birthright. And, um, and, and that displays a lack of holiness. I, there's a little commentary on it in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to come to that, um, that passage. It's a really important passage about holiness in, in chapter 12. But I'm going to read you a little snippet now just as a sort of uh, spoiler alert. Um, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 15. No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And I guess my experience is that sometimes appetite gets in the way of blessing and gets in the way of holiness. And as a person of appetite, that's been an issue for me. You know, honestly, um, yeah, I just love stuff. Physical pleasures, stuff. And um, from time to time, it's been a rival in my life to pursuing holiness. It's been a challenge, it's been a temptation. And it may well be that you are similar to me in, in that respect. So... Um, 1 Corinthians in particular talks about sexual appetite being a bit of a blocker. So, I mean, let's, let's go there. I don't know uh, why it's like that. You know, I'd like to feel that um, sex is just a kind of wonderful pleasure that we can indulge whenever we want to. But it does seem to me that, first of all, the Bible doesn't teach that. And second of all, that people's experience doesn't teach that either. That for many people, they feel, I don't understand why, but when I feel this, whatever it is, and it could just be purely internalized stuff, but it seems to get in the way of my relationship with God. And um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I think, um, you know, for the early church, some people in, in the time that the, the Bible was written, there, there was a kind of heresy around that says, actually, what we do with the body doesn't really matter because we're spiritual. And... Um, it feels, that as far as God's concerned, the human being is a body and a soul and a spirit. And that what we do with our bodies does matter because actually Jesus became flesh like we did. And that actually if we, if the body, if the flesh, if the appetites are not submitted to God and not submitted actually to our spirit within us, 
then there's a rebellion internally. You know, the lower against the higher. That's what happened with the fall. Creature rebelled against creator. And when that happened, the creatureliness in humanity rebelled against the spiritual element in humanity. And it, it gets in the way of, of our allegiance to God. We could be Esau's rather than Jacob's. So I just lay that before you as, as an idea that you might want to think about and think, oh, do, do I agree with David about that or not? But how do I feel about the way my appetite works? Honestly, if I'm true to myself, am I okay with this? Or do I think actually my discipleship is being affected a little bit, my relationship with God? You see, I think that holiness and wholeness go together. And that's why we, a wholeness course that we run here, which is a brilliant course that I devised many years ago, um, <laughs> is um, that, that, that actually it will really help us if we get whole, to get holy. As we find that we ourselves are being built up and less broken, we're able to hold on to and retain the good things that God's doing in our life. Because there's something about brokenness, which means we lose the very stuff that God's putting into us. Do you remember that verse in, um, in, in Jeremiah where, where, where God talks about, I've got these two things against my people. They, they make themselves um, broken cisterns. You know, they make themselves cisterns. Instead of relying on me, the, the spring of living water, they make themselves their own source. But it's broken. It can't even hold the water. And we're a bit like that sometimes. We're like broken vessels. We, we can't always hold the living water that God is putting into our lives. And therefore, we, as we're made whole, we can become holy. And it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful truth to explore, I think. So I do recommend the wholeness course, which Claire leads so brilliantly. Um, but in, in um, 1 Corinthians, this is a place where there's power. You know the Corinthian church? A lot of power in that church. It's a church where we see most about the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's also... Again, a place where we see danger. It's really interesting. If you look at the Bible really carefully, the place where there are most miracles and most power described are places where you see judgment, where you see stuff happening. And in the Corinthian church, Paul actually says to them, look, when you get together and have communion, the Lord's Supper, it does more harm than good. There are divisions among you and that's why some of you are sick and some of you have even died. It's as if Paul is saying, look, you are a spiritual body. By the way, Paul's favorite word for the church is the body of Christ. And when he talks to the Corinthian church, he says, before you take communion, discern the body of Christ. It's not just discerning Jesus, but it's discerning you. You are the body of Christ. And if you live a divided and broken life, it's like you've got a spiritual autoimmune disease. The body is fighting against itself. There's a lack of wholeness in you as a community. If you want to be whole as a community, get right with one another. Don't have divisions among you. Because the divisions among you are actually creating areas, conditions, where you are going to suffer. And so what holiness means is seeing the holy in someone else and not treating other people as things. I think that um, that's where that verse 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 
before you eat the bread and drink then, um, uh, you d- discern the body of Christ. I think that's, that's what it's, it's saying. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Discerning this body of Christ, this church, being okay with division, being, becoming okay with discrimination. That's, you know, how can you do that if, if, you're, if you're creatures saved by Jesus who prayed that we might be one as he and the Father are one? And the reason we can have division and uh, have discrimination in, in that church is also rich and poor is because we don't see the holy in one another. One of the things that God counts as unholiness is when we treat other people as things. Whether we treat other people as an economic thing or as a sexual thing or any other thing that means we can have a better life at the expense of that other person that we haven't recognized within them the image of God, that they are too holy, that they belong to him. So we're not casual in our relationships. In the words of Tina Mitchell, her phrase, casual causes casualties. Remember that one. Um, here's, I'm going to go back to the book of Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It's, um, it's just a powerful little passage. I would say Hebrews chapter 12 is kind of like one of the great chapters to read. There's a, there's a, you know, the whole Bible is worth reading, of course. But reading Hebrews chapter 12 as your discipleship is really good homework. Maybe you'll go away and read it and kind of audit it. Spiritual disciplines. But he says... How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Verse 9. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. We just read that kind of bit, haven't we? But what, that's a kind of um, powerful little phrase, isn't it? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I kind of reflect a little bit about that quite literally um, in terms of our ability to be prophetic and to see what God's doing. Without holiness our ability to discern will be distorted. It really will. We'll, we'll, it's as if the kind of our, our vision is distorted. Without holiness, we won't see God properly. We won't see people properly. We won't see ourselves properly. And when we find holiness, and part of, of finding holiness in life is to do with spiritual discipline, because what spiritual discipline does is it, it 
it speaks to us where we are appetite-driven, as creatures are, human beings are. And it allows a conformity for our appetites to our will. So instead of our will being shaped by our appetites, our will now shapes our appetites and also our direction and trajectory. And so the spiritual disciplines of the, the traditional ones of the, of the Christian life, like um, reading devotionally and praying and giving to the poor and fasting, they're part of those disciplines, taking solitude times, of uh, disciplines of, of abstinence, dis disciplines of, of action, can actually have a shaping effect on what's going on in our inner life. But also, the things that happen to us in life and the way we deal with them are disciplines too. Trouble can be a discipline for our good. Relationships where we're challenged can be a discipline for our good. And all of this kind of stuff helps us see the Lord. But without that, it may well be that our ability to be prophetic is, is really limited. You know, I think God wants a prophetic people who can see what he's doing. And of course, Jesus, who was pure of heart, full of the Holy Spirit and sinless, said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's always seeing what God's up to. And um, we, we can just fail to see. We can look at someone, instead of seeing what God wants to do in their life, because we've, we're not holy, we see competition and bitterness. There's so many examples I could draw from, from the where our, our kind of dysfunction relationships means is we don't see people as Jesus wants to see them. So our ministry is really limited and hindered. If you've got a sexualized imagination and you only see people as sex objects, how are you going to see what God is going to do in their lives and bless them? That, that's, you know, I, I don't want to keep harping on about sex. It's just, if we're going to talk about holiness, it's one of the things. Not the only thing, maybe not the biggest thing, but a prevalent thing, and a prevalent thing in church. So, here's some things about good practice in prayer ministry and holiness. You know, I think... Can you minister, the question I ask, can you minister in the power of the Spirit without holiness? Yes, you can. But it's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for people around you. And it's likely to end in trouble. That, that ministry may well be because you understand spiritual stuff. Simon Magus the magician in Acts 8 understood spiritual stuff. As a non-Christian, he was spiritual. He was tuning to some things. And he knew enough to be able to discern in what Peter and John were doing, you are operating in general spiritual power. It's more powerful than I am. And I would like some of that, please. Spiritual power is analogous. Do you remember in, in the Exodus, the magicians of Pharaoh started off doing the things that Moses could do. There came a point where they couldn't go any further. And they said, this is the finger of God when Moses does that. But they understood it because they too were spiritual. And actually, someone who's a Christian can understand the way the Spirit of God works and still manipulate people. And people can find benefit from a spiritual and Christian leader who is not holy because they put faith in that leader and God honors faith. You see, God is not too proud 
to use faith even in inappropriate things, I think. So, take a handkerchief. A handkerchief, as far as I'm concerned, has no moral benefit, right? Are you with me? And yet, people used to take handkerchiefs from Paul and give them to sick people and they would get well. Now, I struggle with that. I think that looks a bit superstitious. Except that a lady who I was talking to this morning, called Ruth Bartlett, who I've talked about before, she had muscular dystrophy. She was very sick for a really long time. She could not walk upstairs in her own home. She had a stair lifted. She couldn't lift her own children. Her grandmother, who's a devout Christian, got a blessed handkerchief and gave it to her to carry. And she got fed up of people praying for her not getting well, but she took the handkerchief to bless her grandmother. And by the way, Ruth's a doctor, married to a doctor, and they knew all the medical stuff. She just got completely healed. And she's, you know, I saw her today, she's, she's stayed completely healed. And I guess grandmother's faith, God was not too proud to, you, to not use grandmother's faith in a handkerchief. God is not proud about people who come to him. You know the woman that came to Jesus with bleeding? She had faith. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She visualized it. And when she did it, Jesus said, I felt power leave me. It wasn't something that Jesus orchestrated. He looked around. Who touched me? She orchestrated it. It was her faith. And when Jesus summons her out, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And honestly, I know that sometimes people have asked me to pray for them. And there's been something significant that God's done in their life. And they think it's about me, but I think it's about their faith in God. And I just happen to be a channel at that moment because I'm a minister. <laughs> and people think, well, God, God might answer Dave's prayers. But it was their faith in God. I just happened to be around at the time. And it works like that sometimes because it's faith that earths the power of God. It's faith that God counts as righteousness. And that, because God counts faith as righteousness, it means that unholy people can handle the holy power of God without being consumed by it. That's why faith is saving faith. It's what insulates us from the dangers that come from an impure people approaching a holy God in whom there's no darkness at all, that the darkness cannot abide with. But faith in the Lord Jesus Christ enables us to be in relationship with that holy God. And what's more, faith enables us to receive the power of that holy God and see that power in action. And that's why there's a real link between faith and power experientially, from salvation onwards. Really, it happens like that. So a few things about um, power and good practice in prayer ministry. God pours out his Holy Spirit by faith on people and gives us power to live the Christian life that we cannot live on our own. And that is a spiritual anointing that's precious and we should not be casual with it but if you are carrying spiritual anointing, it can make you magnetic. And that magnetism can attract money, sexual attraction, or personal devotion. And that's sometimes why powerful Christian leaders fall, because there's a magnetism about them that's not really them, it's really God. But people kind of see it in them, and they want to give to that person, they want to be with that person. And it all goes to their heads if the character is not really established. 
or if there are unmet needs in that person, that this creates an opportunity for those unmet needs to be met. And also we have to understand that um, we, when we put Christian leaders on pedestals, we're, we're, we're creating a problem for them and a problem for ourselves because it's not about anyone, it's about Jesus. And God can use you as much as me, but it all depends really on our willingness to embrace in faith the anointing that God's giving for his purposes and whether we keep his step with the Spirit. But be careful. I say be careful if you're successful. Be careful if God's using you spiritually because you will be magnetic and that might make you dangerous. You need a good, humble inner life to handle power. So that means if you're moving in power, you need spiritual discipline and spiritual direction and spiritual accountability. We all do. I do. When we had our strategic review, one of the things the reviewer said was, okay, so who are you accountable to, David, outside of this church? And this week, I've written to somebody who lives in another part of the country just to say, I'd love to establish an accountability relationship with you because I've, got a, I've had to step up into a leadership role and I could probably do with it. And, um, and I guess you probably could do with it too, couldn't you? Particularly you, Matt Dobson. <laughs> Smooth man. <laughs> oh, sometimes having a microphone is <laughs> very dangerous. Stop it. Thank you, Thank you Abby. <laughs> Okay, so I've talked for a long time, haven't I? Important stuff, though, isn't it? Because what, what is it going to look like to see a powerful church One of the things I believe that Scripture teaches is that at the end of all time, at the end of the ages, there will be a church or a significant portion of the church that moves in the power of God's Holy Spirit in extraordinary ways. I think it's possible that the move of the Spirit that began with the Pentecostal movement in the early 1900s is part of that preparation. And I don't know how long that preparation goes on for, but I think that the final chapter of the church is a church where spiritual power is exercised to an extraordinary level. And in, in Revelation chapter 11, there's a picture of the two witnesses who are called two olive branches who have this kind of, they're, they're symbolically, they have like the combined power of Moses and Elijah. They can, um, fire come from their mouths, it says, and, and they can turn water to blood and, um, and, and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's symbolic of, of, a, of an end time church that is powerful, but also assaulted, because the beast from the pit comes and makes war against those two olive trees, and, um, and kills them, actually, and then they get resurrected, and it's, it's all good stuff in the book of Revelation. But um, symbolically, I think that's, that's kind of like the territory that we're, we're heading into, really, and um, I, I, I don't want to overcook my eggs or anything, but, but I want to say that probably we can expect in this season, in, in the age of the church, the age of human history, power becomes an issue. And if you were the enemy, in the words of Claire Thompson, what would the enemy do? That's what you, that's what you think, isn't it, Claire? She thinks, look, if I was Satan, what would I do to mess the church up? 
that helps me to understand what to avoid. And a great thing to avoid would be to mishandle spiritual power so that the church gets brought into disrepute. Not to major on self-survivor, but honestly, Mike Pilavachi is somebody who has moved in the power of the Holy Spirit with real, genuine, and extraordinary authority and sensitivity. And the church is having to deal with a whole lot of fallout from some issues that are as simple as a bit of unholiness in the handling of it. And you can see all the stuff I talked about being played out, including bitterness and division and other stuff there. And it's meant that something which has been a real blessing for the church is being tarnished at the moment. Um, and we should not put ourselves in a position, you know, me big time especially, where that happens. All right, I've said enough. We're going to pray. Here you are. Um, you need the power of God in your lives if you're going to be his witness in, in our times. But you need to be holy. You've got some character stuff to do. You've got to make sure that it's love that makes you want power, not status or spiritual goosebumps or anything else. So we're just going to invite people who, 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 who are feel, feeling, say, I'm, I'm willing to say yes to the call, to the challenge of that empowerment, recognizing the risk to myself and to others, if God should really choose to use me, but saying, I want to be so devoted to him that it's going to be something where he's really, truly Lord. I'd just like you to kind of make, maybe stand with me as a kind of consecration sign. That's you. And I, I, would, I would love to feel that, that God could call out from us an ambition to see more than we've yet seen. So that that spiritual power is around some breaking through some real strongholds in our lives and in the lives of other people. Of seeing significant healing where people who are, have got no medical solution in their lives can find there's healing for them. I'd love to have, feel that kind of ambition. To feel that there was an anointing for preaching and uh, a ministry that actually um, meant that hundreds and hundreds of people through the power of the Spirit, we're able to turn to Jesus Christ. I'd love to, love to feel that there was, there was power to feel that there was, there was provision for the poorest in our midst as there was in that early church. And that in it all, it was an upside-down way. It wasn't about people on platforms getting um, praise or people getting wealthy on the back of a reputation and having private jets and, you know... Um, celebrity status, but it was all about Jesus being honored. And if you're standing with me, that's the kind of prayer I want to pray for, for me and you. So, Father God, tonight we pray for your spirit to come. And I want to pray, Lord, that you'd convict us in our hearts where there are things that have needed the holiness of God. And we thank you, God, that you come like a cleansing fire, like a refiner's fire, because you want to make your vessel and your church holy, devoted to you and purified on the inside. And Lord, we want to have a spiritual ambition that's raised to say that, Lord, in our day we can see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven with more power. 
And so tonight, Lord God, as we lift our hearts and our hands to you, Lord, we say, come, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit, come with more power. Lord, will this church be a place where we can be so surrendered to you that you have your way? I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.